Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Yordana Azban, here with my friend and Chavruta, Ann Gordon. Our daf today, Masach Psachim, daf Lamed Zayin, 37. So our daf continues with the discussion of how do we make sure that when we bake certain types of bread, they do not actually become chametz. And they give a very interesting example, which actually starts the last line of the previous daf. So depending on exactly what the gears is, but here we'll use the one that it's about Pesach, right? There's a price here that teaches one is not allowed to bake what we're calling now pat ava, which is thick bread um, on Yom Tov and also on Pesach. Um, and the idea is, is because it could become leavened because it's so thick. The dough is so thick. It is more of a chance of leavening. And this is the opinion of Beit Shammai, Ubeit Hilo Matirin. And so Beit Hillel says, no, it's okay. You can make this kind of thick uh, bread. The And so the question is, therefore, well, what's the thickness of a matzah to be considered thick bread? And Rav Huna answers that it would have to be a tefach. And why is this? Because the lechem hapanim, which we know could not be leavened, and remember, we keep discussing this, that many of the types of, uh, you know, uh, flour or grain offerings that were in the Beit HaMikdash actually could not be chametz. So this lechem hapanim, which in English we was translated as the showbread, was allowed to be as tall as the tefach, but yet it could not become chametz. Matkif love Rav Yosef. So Rav Yosef totally disagrees with this. Imam Rubi's reason, and again, now we get back to this diligence about the priests, right? Yomru bashinan's reason. V'imam Rubi pat amila, yomru bapache eno amila. Right? So if the chachamim allowed us, we're, we're going to allow baking this sort of thick bread, right? It's because it was being done by, that was a tepach thick, it was being done by these reasons, by these priests who knew how to make sure that a bread that was a tepach, that that dough would not become chametz. But would they say this about people, reason that are not as careful, meaning the everyday people who are just baking matzah once a year just for the week of Pesach. And also, if they said this in terms of well-kneaded bread, that's what pat amila means, right? Would they also say this about bread that is not well needed? And so the idea here is that what Rav Yosef is saying is it's really hard to make sure that this tepach thick bread could actually not become chametz. Like this is something only an expert could do. Again, I know we keep saying reason is diligent, but I think the idea here more is that there's a familiarity with the process. And that's not something that's sort of an ordinary everyday person when they're just baking matzah once a year and only have to worry about making sure what they're baking is unleavened once a year stays unleavened. So then Rav Yosef goes on to say, so maybe if they said that this bread, right, that's a hand bread stick was cooked with dry wood, right? Maybe they would also say that you could cook it with moist uh, wood. Right? And if they said that in, ter- in terms of baking it with a hot oven in the temple, would they also say that you could c- c- uh, cook it with a cool oven? Right? So finally, you know, so at the end he's going to say, and if they say that this is true with the, again, he's giving all these descriptions of the lechem hapanim, that if they bake it in a metal oven, right, because a metal oven presumably heats much faster, will they also say that you could bake it in a clay oven? And so really what Rav Yosef is trying to highlight is, is that the lechem hapanim has a totally own set of circumstances or let's say ways that it was baked that's very different than how regular matzah is baked. And so therefore he doesn't 
hold by that this this meaning of Beit Ava is that it's a matzah that would be thick up to a tefa. So we have to come up with a different solution there about what Beit Shammai and Beit Hill are actually having a machlokas over. I'm a Rav Ava. So Rav Yirmiya Bar Ava comes and he says, right, she alti et rabbi biyichud, right? So he asked his his special rabbi, his rabbi biyichud, umanu, right? And who is this? Umanu Rav, eka da'ami, Rav Yirmiya Bar Ava, I'm a Rav she'alti et rabbi biyichud, umanu rabbeinu hakadosh, right? So who was the special relative? So some people say that it was uh, what he really said is that Rub said, I asked my special rabbi, and who was that? That was Rebbe. And we've talked about that before. The Rebbe Yehuda Hanasi was Rub's Rebbe, right? And some people say that, who did he say? Sorry, I did this in the wrong order here. That the first answer is, is that Rub Yermia said that his special Reb was Rub. Or the second, the Eka Amri is, is that he was quoting Rub as saying that, no, my, my Rebbe be Yehud, my special Rebbe is, is Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, right? So that's just a nice little interesting thing where we always get to learn about who's the Talmud and who's the Rabbi here, right? And so, so what's the answer here? All right, my pat Ava. So you know, either this is you know, uh, Rabbi Yirmiyah is saying this in the name of his Rabbi Rav, or Rav in the name of his Rabbi uh, Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi. What is pat Ava? Pat miruba, right? So it could just be a large quantity of red, okay? And so therefore. Then why do you call it pat ava? Why would it be called thick bread? Okay. And so maybe it's that Mishum did not shave Alicia. Maybe it's that it needed a lot of kneading. The Eva is Ema Batre Zahai Tana Lapat Maruba Pat Ava Karule. Right. Or you could say that when the where this Tana lived, you started calling it Pat Ava. That was just what they called it when you made a lot of it. Right. So it's not that it's thick bread, but it's really that there is a large quantity of the bread made. So then the Gemara wants to know, my time, right? So what's the reason that, according to Beit Shammai, you wouldn't be allowed to make a lot of matzah? Like, what's the problem with making a lot of matzah? Right? Is it because it's like a tircha? It's like you, you baked more than you needed to bake, and this was unnecessary, or that you needed the dough more than you needed to dough? And that's not something that you should do on Yom Tov. You just do the amount of what you actually need. So then we say, my iri be Pesach, right? Why specifically would this be a halacha for Pesach? I feel it'll be Yom Tov Nami. Even on a regular Yom Tov, we would say you wouldn't be allowed to make a lot of bread, right? And so the Gemara then says, no, ain hacha nami, right? No, this is actually true. The high Tana, right? We actually have that this Tana, right? The Yom Tov, he was actually teaching about Yom Tov Shel Pesach, right? The original Beit Shammai Beit Hillel, when we first learn about this, it's about Pesach. Katanya Nami, but also we have what? We have another Brisa here. Hachi Beit Shammai Pat Ava Tov Beit Hillel Matiran, right? And this one's talking specifically about Yom Tov, where Beit Shammai says you're not allowed to make a lot of bread on Yom Tov, and Beit Hillel says that it is mutar. So, you know, the point of this section, which I think is interesting, is, first of all, it's another example of where the concept of reason comes up, although even though that gets rejected ultimately, right? But I think there's this idea that making sure that something becomes doesn't become leavened and who knows really how to control that process, I think it's, you know, just to see it again is interesting. Um, but this idea of sort of not making a lot of something on Yom Tov 
um, just seems, you know, interesting, like, especially as I think we as a people tend to always overcook now. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, you know, they're sort of bringing attention to that, according to Beichame, at least there's something problematic at that. Right. And that, you know, the making of matzah or the making of bread, you know, on the Yom Tov actually should not be a tircha. Like, even though you're allowed to do it, you shouldn't actually be doing too much over. Like, I guess you're really almost in a way not supposed to be doing it in a way that you end up with leftovers. I, I think that's really sort of the simple interpretation here of what's going on. So there are two things that struck me about this whole discussion. The first is this idea that pat ava is a tefach. And I started to think like, you know, a tefach, we're talking about a hand's breadth, right? And I'm thinking, well, that's really thick. And then I realized that it's really thick if you're thinking about matzah. But if you think about a loaf of bread, that's not actually that thick, you know, in terms of the actual substance that we're talking about. So just, you know, according to this view that the platava is actually the, the nature of the bread itself, as opposed to the idea that it means a large quantity of what we would think of, I think, as more traditional matzah. And my second thought was that with the, the, the second approach, right, the more traditional matzah just in a great quantity, the implication then is, of course, uh, well, I'm not quite sure. I want to say that the implication is that we're not worried about chametz. We're only worried about, you know, what are you doing with your yantif day? Are you standing over the stove or the oven, right, the whole time? Or are you enjoying your yantif? I'm one, you know, I wonder whether there is still a concern about yantif, about chametz, in that if you're dealing with a large quantity, you're at greater risk of, you know, missing something that's becoming to become leavened. But it doesn't sound that way, meaning I can I can insert that concern, but that does not seem to be what they're talking about. Yeah, I agree with you. And so, like, I personally, I don't like cooking on Yantif. Like, I usually always try to get everything done ahead of time because exactly for that reason, like, I don't want to be cooking on Yom Tov. Like, it's my Yom Tov, you know? So it was interesting to me to sort of see that point a little bit made on this stuff. Right. Also, just the and one final point, I think the what you said about um having leftovers, I can picture my grandmother, she should live and be well, making matzah brai. Now we're talking Pesach, really specifically, right? Making matzah brai after matzah brai after matzah brai, meaning panful after panful after panful for a large army of family that was eating. And I, I'm sure she got tired, but I think she also, I think it was a labor of love. There were no leftovers ever, meaning she was at the stove, but she wasn't, the large quantity was because people were eating, not because people were um not because she was making for storage, you know? Yes, I I, I, I hear your point. Right. We can make a large quantity so, and we don't end up with leftovers. Right. Meaning, I, I, you know, whether one wants to spend their day of Yantif that way. Listen, this was our tradition. This is, you know, and, and when Yantif fell on Shabbos, God help us, we had no matzah bra, you know, because you can't cook right right then. Um, so in any case, I, I think that, the, again, we're, we're bumping up against the reality of, meaning, again, realia, right, of what was going on in terms of the nature of the bread that they would make. I want to take this, I'm continuing on the daf pretty much, um, from where you left off. So we're, it says, we're talking about the one full, we're talking basically, you know, can you be Yotze Matzah, which is, of course, the under, part of the underlying question, which you mentioned at the beginning here, Dana, the idea of, you know, what constitutes Matzah and, and when do you verge on, you know, um, not actually fulfilling your mitzvah with whatever the item is that you're baking, right? 
or or not baking as we'll see. So in this case, we're talking about fine bread versus coarse bread. And either one, we're talking about matzah, but the, the question of how fine, I guess, how fine is the flour? And then there's a discussion of what happens if your matzah is shaped into into shapes. And the, the idea that you can't have matzah shaped into shapes, made into shapes, because you run into the question of, well, you might end up with spending all that time making the perfect shape and then run into chametz, which I think is a very interesting kind of concern. Um, here we go with Rev Yehuda says as follows: I'm Rev Yehuda Devarze Shaal Baitus Ben Zonin Lachachamim Ibnei Ma'amrum Enosin Strikin Amaturin BePesach. Why can't you make shapes on Pesach? Says Baitus Ben Zonin. Because the woman, a woman, will delay, right? She'll, she'll take longer as she's preparing the bread. And then so she can make the perfect shape before it's baked. And then it's gone too long and it can become unleavened. Now, this business of, you know, a woman is, um, I think, the foil, I would say, to the discussion of the reason the Kohanim or Zrizin, who are who are diligent, who are eager, who are careful, um, because the implication is that not that not that women can't do this well, but that you know your average Joe, or in this case your average Jane, might make it might make a mistake and and spend too long on it, and the dough might actually come to be leavened. Um, the idea that bread would be in shapes, of course, is also so so strange. If you're so accustomed to matzah being the one thing that matzah is, right? Whether you have round matzah or square matzah is is about as dramatic of difference as I think many of us encounter matzah to be. In more recent years, I've seen soft matzah, right? The Yemenites make, basically it's a lafa, um, you know, and then I've, at one point I encountered, I would say it was a thick, not this kind of thick, but a thicker, soft, I don't know, dough of some kind, but not a lafa. It was not actually good in any way that I that I found it to be. Meaning there are several different ways that people make matzah across, you know, different different um heritages in the Jewish world across the world today. But the idea that people would come and make shapes of it, you know, um creative shapes is the implication. And I I'm trying, you know, I, I would love to have, I don't know what, archaeology or anthropology or something that would tell me what exactly are they doing here? Because because we don't have much information here. You know, did they use a mold to shape it to be to be creative and, and beautiful in that way? And the idea of shaping your bread to be that much more creative for the table, I think, is something that is that is we when it's real bread and not matzah, people do that. I mean, we do it with challah with, with a braid and and round on um, round on Rosh Hashanah, and people make a key challah for the Shabbos before Pesach. After Pesach, before Pesach, I don't do it, right? But the the idea of of your challah being a message, you know, that you could do something creative with it. People put it in the shape of a Chanukiah, of a menorah, on Hanukkah, right? People do this kind of thing. But matzah is a whole separate issue because because you're concerned about it becoming chametz, the idea that you could make it into shapes is not going to fly. Amaylahem. So Rabbi Huda answers by Zuz Benzonin, Efshariya Serabetfus. He says it is possible to, to make matzah with a mold, right? 
bedfus. Nowadays, bedfus we think of like a, a printing press, right? That is going into print, so that the the form is already there, and she can put that dough there and make that form via the mold without any delay in the baking process. So they said to him, people are not going to understand this distinction between using a mold and not using a mold. And they'll just say that all of any shaped matzah is prohibited, but the baitus matzah, meaning of this guy, would be permitted. So that's why they said they can't make any shaped matzah um, rather than trying to have, introduce that distinction and let and risk people being confused and also again the main concern here being risking coming to chametz. And then we have a very nice Maisashai, a very nice story um, between Rabbi Lazar ben Sadok, Bar Sadok. He tells a story. I'm a Rabbi Lazar Bar Sadok. Abba. Abba here is, of course, his father is Rabbi Sadok. Right, and Rabbi Tzadok, I guess, is most known for being a Kohen. I think that's, you know, he's part of the negotiations in the Gemara that discusses what Yavne and Chachamea, where, oh, it's a whole big story, and we should really take our time with it, so we'll talk about it when we get there. Um, but the bottom line is that Rabbi Tzadok is a known figure. So Rabbi Elizabeth bin Tzadok says that he, he, followed in, he followed his father into Rabbi Gamliel's house, it was Pesach, and they had matzah in shapes. I said to my father, didn't we learn, didn't they say that it's a prohibition, right, for matzah to be in the shapes? You can't, you can't do this. He says, my son, they didn't say this, that any person, the average Joe, the average Jane can't make shapes in their matzah, which of course is perhaps different than the Gemara suggested right above, but rather that bakers shouldn't be making shapes because the bakers in their in their effort to be professional and perfectionist will take too long. And the average person, according to Rabbi Sadok here, the average person will not take too long because they're not trying to make large quantity of shapes. They're just trying to make their own, you know, family size amounts of matzah. And we have a yesh omrim. There's another view of what this conversation took place, uh, of the conversation was that took place. The opposite. That maybe he said, we're not talking about bakers. That bakers could do this, the shapes, because they're professionals and they know what they're doing. So they'll do it fast. But then people, the average Joe, the average Jane at home, should not be trying to make shapes because they don't know what they're doing and it will take too long. Amar Rebbe, Yossi, I mean, they might know what they're doing in terms of making shapes, but they might lose sight of the time factor of Chamet. Amar Yossi, Osi, Srikin, Kamin, Drikikin, Ve'en Osi, Srikin, Kamin, Gluskaot. So at the end of the whole discussion here, the Rebbe Yossi says that you can make matzah that's shaped as crackers, but don't make matzah that's shaped as thick loaves because once you're dealing gluskaot here is, you know, sometimes a gluska could be understood to be a cookie, right, or a cake, right? So in this case, once you start making your matzah in the shape of something that is a thicker loaf, which brings us back to bait, to, to patava, um, then there's a greater risk, of course, of leavening because there's, I would say that there's just in, in that extra volume, you may have, um, you know, a pocket. This is, you know, I, I don't know how likely this is really, but but the possibility is there of 
uh, of a pocket to become chametz, as opposed to when it's all flat. You know, you you know that your whole flat cracker of a matzah is not becoming leavened because you can see that it's not. You see the whole of it. It's not. There's nothing buried kind of deep inside. And then the Gemara goes on and and embarks on what really takes over the rest of the daf that we're not going to really get to, which is all different kinds of cakes. Tanarabaran, asofkinin, adufshinina, iskat, askaritin, vachalat, masrate, hamduma, turin melchala. All these different kinds of cakes are not considered bread. You don't have to take challah from them. And just for entertainment value, here we have sponge cake, honey cake, spice cake, pan fried bread, and then bread that's prepared from a mixture of meduma of grain plus truma together. All of these are exempt from taking challah. And then the question is: Now we're going to get the Gemara is going to get into. We're not going to spend so much time on it now. You know what is this distinction? What does it mean to have a pan-fried bread? And the idea is that this is a boiled bread that you make in a deep frying pan. And I keep thinking, like, can I have a recipe? I'm curious what this is. I, you know, this whole daf was interesting to me, especially on the bed, because I mean, first of all, the design matzah. I'd love to see what that is. Um, but it, you know, I think when we think of bread. For Pesach, it has to do with the leavening, right? Like, is it leavened or not leavened? And then there's like this whole interesting discussion around all these different types of cakes or frying versus baking or what order did you fry? What order did you bake that actually determines whether or not it has the status of bread? Um, and so in typical Gemara fashion, you know, it just adds an extra layer to, you know, when we say like carrying is carrying or a partition is a partition. So bread is not actually bread, right? <laughs> There's multiple layers <laughs> to what bread could be. Um, and again, how it actually becomes bread, like what process did you um, put it over a fire is actually as important and not just necessarily the leavening component as well. Right. I think that, you know, I, I have been thinking about all of this about matzah, but I think your point about bread is really important because when we're talking about taking challah, right, the mitzvah of challah, um, right, that a certain amount becomes a present that, well, nowadays we burn it, but then it would be a present to the to the kohanim, um, that would be for, for actual challah, right? That would be an issue for any kind of bread, not just matzah. And so the definition of what we call bread um, as you say, it's not quite bread. It's not quite bread. The distinction of when do you have a cake and when do you have a bread is is again more complicated than face value. Right. As as always, things are in the Gemara. So uh, just before we wrap up, and I meant to mention this at the beginning of uh, this episode, um, we just put in our Facebook page and in our WhatsApp group uh, a Google Doc with all of the wonderful debris Torah that was shared in our Masachade Ravine um, Siyum, which I know people have been asking for. So please go ahead and take a look. Um, and, you know, read it again, save it. Um, and thank you for all the people who contributed and participated in that. Um, and we hope it will inspire uh, even some new people to participate when we finish Masaka Pesachim. Uh, so with that, I will conclude. That's our DAP for the day. Thank uh, Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Rabbi Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this DAP and the multitudes of ways uh, to cook, uh, or I should say to bake matzah on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.